Snowman Podcast. Welcome back to the Snowman Podcast. I'm your host, as always, the Snowman. What are your first thoughts when you see it? High atop the pole, the flag of our country flaps in the breeze, proudly displaying the 13 stripes and 50 stars. In its folds, it carries a history that no other country can boast of, being a free country from the beginning of its inception. Today's topic should be easy for you to guess. That's right, it's about Flag Day. Today, I'll be sharing with you why the flag is so important to respect and why we should never take its message for granted. And I hope by the end of the episode, you'll love the flag and what she represents more than ever before. Sources in today's episode will include Sharp's Eagle from the TV series Sharp, starring Sean Bean, By Dawn's Early Light, by Adventures in Odyssey, History.com, Star Spangled Banner, NationalParks.com, forward slash Fort McHenry, Wikipedia.com forward slash Flag of the United States, Red Skelton's Pledge of Allegiance, and Rush Limbaugh's transcript Stand Up for Betsy Ross shirt, amongst other sources. Throughout the course of history, banners or flags have been used to mark territories belonging to individual countries. It became really popular in the waning days of the medieval era, when they made the switch from coats of arms on mantelpieces and shields to coats of arms on banners. Made it way easier to carry, as opposed to carrying around a fireplace with a clanky metal symbol above it. Yeah, right, okay, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But in truth, they did switch, because it was easier to maintain and transport. The first flags were pretty simple, and usually had symbols of religion on them. The Denmark flag is considered to be one of, if not the oldest flag in the world still in use today. Their flag is of a sideways cross. You see, symbols of Christianity are still rampant in our everyday lives and in multiple flags around the world, despite the left's attempt to remove any and all recognition of this. Let us pray we can stop them from being successful. As I briefly mentioned, the flag was a notification of a country's territory. When explorers such as Christopher Columbus set foot on unexplored land, they planted the flag of their country. Or in Crystal Ball's IR, I mean Chrissy's IR, Columbus's case, the country who sponsored it. Spain, in his case. So as new areas of the world were discovered, more countries put their flag there to mark their ownership. For any of you folks out there who are about to burst a neck vein by me saying they owned the new territories, and you might say that they got it by stealing it from the natives, just cool it, would you? I'll explain at some point the whole process I've studied and share how they came to own the land as opposed to the natives. Anyway, Spain, England, France, Denmark, Portugal, Germany, Russia, and other countries were soon planting their flags everywhere. They were planting them in the Americas, both North and South, Africa, the Far East, even Antarctica, and the North Pole. I'm not sure why, but whatever floats their boat. Now, European countries had one small problem with their flags. They kept planting them in each other's territories. And when they did that, they fought over it. 
And if the attacking country beat the defending country, they would remove the losing country's flag and plant their own instead. European countries have never seemed to really get along until the last 30-40 years or so, and that might be stretching it a bit. With all the countries always fighting, flags became a staple on the battlefields of Europe, and would also fly above their forts throughout the world. The armies would then meet, duke it out as I previously mentioned, and replace the loser flags with the victors. But how would they go about that without totally annihilating one side or the other? Well, let's say this. If a fort was under siege and they had the Union Jack flying over it and, say, the French were attacking it, this is not too hard to imagine because that's what they did in the Seven Years' War. Ooh, that'll be a good story. Um, so, French are attacking, British are defending, the French have got the better of the British. So, the British want to surrender. They would lower their flag and raise a white flag instead. Now, you might be saying, well, what does that white flag represent? Who, which country is that? That white flag was a flag of truce, and it indicated that they wanted to meet for terms of surrender. This white flag proved to be so vital and would differentiate between the life and death for many soldiers back in the day. Another key element about country's flags was it helped the soldier remember who he was fighting for. Back in the 18th and 19th centuries, Europe seemed to have nothing but monarchs or emperors. Looking down at you, Napoleon. The flag was usually a sign that the monarch was with the men. If you lost the flag, or if the flag fell to the earth and was not picked back up right away, it was disgraced. Your unit would be disgraced, and it would take a great deal to restore that honor, if it could be done at all. Listen to this clip from the British ITV series Sharp from the second episode called Sharp's Eagle. It is one of my favorite clips about respecting the flag that I have ever heard. Major Hogan reports a number of losses, Sir Henry. He says you first lost your head, and instead of destroying the bridge, you marched over it. He says you then lost your nerve and ran from a small French patrol. He says you lost ten men, a major, and two sergeants. He says you finally lost your sense of honor and destroyed the bridge, cutting off a rescue party led by Lieutenant Sharp. Major Hogan leaves the worst to the last. He says you lost the king's colors. The fault was not mine, sir. Major Lennox must answer. Major Lennox answer with his life, as you should have done if you had any sense of honor. You lost the colors of the king of England. You disgraced us, sir. You shamed us, sir. You will answer. The loss of the king's colors was a slap in the face to the British in this instance. Through that clip, do you see the importance of respecting the flag? Why so many Americans get outraged when they see their own people disrespecting their flag? It's because the people outraged understand the meaning of that flag's purpose. So with all that in mind, 
let's take a look at the history of the American flag. During the troubling years of the late 1760s and 1770s, the American colonies still had the flag of England flying over every major building, like courthouses, land offices, and other such businesses. But then, newly formed groups like the Sons of Liberty, the Culpeper Minutemen, and others created their own flags to fly as they marched in opposition to the king's taxes. Some of the most famous designs I'm sure you've seen in recent years, as they have once again become popular amongst conservative movements, like the Don't Tread on Me flag. Originally created back in 1775, it was in fact the first naval flag. The Join or Die flag, a flag of the Culpeper Minutemen. Its message was that the colonies needed to unite or die. If you've watched the HBO series John Adams, you'll see that flag in the credits. These flags did not represent one country, though. They only represented small contingents of early Americans that were growing rapidly each day. But every patriot knew there would be a need to have one flag as opposed to all these small factions. But the timing had to be right. Well, when we declared our independence on July 4th, 1776, the timing was right. But the flag wasn't all that great. It was called the Grand Union flag, but didn't have quite the right panache to make it a keeper. Though it was about halfway there. What they chose was a white flag, so basically white flag background, and with seven red stripes, which would leave six white stripes. Then they put the Union Jack in the top left corner. Needless to say, this flag was not popular and was never sanctioned by the Continental Congress. Within a year, though, the pattern was successfully changed. Francis Hopkinson, a signer of the Declaration from New Jersey, was one of the designers of the flag. But some of his claims have now been disputed. His design was very similar to what our flag looks like today but naturally, it only had 13 stars instead of 50. He also had a white stripe on the top as opposed to the red. But he also claimed this was the design for the Navy. Overall, it's hard to know what's true or not. If you know someone who knows more about this, please don't hesitate to reach out to me and share what you find. Now, in early American flag history, what name sticks out the most to you? If you said Betsy Ross, then you'd be right. <clears throat> uh, this is where no matter what name you might have said, you just go along with that answer as if you planned all along. Copy? Betsy Ross was a seamstress in Philadelphia and was making ship standards for a living. Standard is ship talk for flag, just so you know. According to her grandson, General George Washington himself, approached Betsy Ross and asked her to design a new flag for America. He asked for a flag similar to that of the Grand Union flag, but with stars in the corner as opposed to the Union Jack. He also asked for the stars to have six points. Betsy Ross said it would be easier to make them with five, and Washington relented to her better judgment. He did ask that the stars be designed in a circle. Once again, according to legend, he asked this for two reasons. One, so all the now-formed states couldn't think themselves higher than the other. And two, to let the 13 stars in a circle stand as a new constellation in the heavens. 
Rather poetic, huh? Betsy Ross went to work with her helpers, and shortly thereafter, the now infamous Betsy Ross flag was created. It was hugely popular and became one of the most commonly seen flags during the Revolution. The history of the flag is all based on second and third hand accounts, but I think it's safe to say there's a good chance that the history of this exchange is in fact true. We'll revisit the fascinating Betsy Ross flag in a few minutes, but first I want to share with you one of the flag's most epic stories. As our nation grew, so did our flag. To keep the look stylish, though, the Congress decided to keep the 13 stripes as a tribute to the original 13 colonies that became the first 13 states. As new states were added to the Union, one star would be added to the flag. By 1812, they were already behind the curve. <laughs> Figures them being politicians and all. Multiple states have been added, but the flag only had 15 stars to represent the new additions of Vermont and Kentucky. But be that as it may, this was the flag that was being flown when our country entered into its second major war with England. Old fat King George III was trying to make us colonies once again and we weren't too keen on obliging him. So we went to war. Kind of like how I said earlier, they were trying to plant their flag where the American flag was. And the Americans were like, oh, no, 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 you had your flag all over the world. We want our flag here and you can't touch it. Well, in more or less words, I guess. So, the British Army was still considered to be the world's greatest military at that time. And they handed us a good number of losses. By 1814, they had even ransacked Washington, D.C. The president, James Madison, had hightailed it out of there long before they got there. They burned the White House, the Capitol, and everything. They then set their sights on Baltimore, which was one of the biggest and most valuable cities at that time. The port brought in tons of commerce that enriched our country's wealth. If the British could take Baltimore, it would be a catastrophic blow to our economy. But in order to take Baltimore, the British would first have to destroy Fort McHenry. This story is, in of itself, a fascinating one, and I will do a more in-depth podcast on it later on. The commander of the fort was Major George Armistead. He and everyone else knew the British would eventually try to attack Baltimore, so they had been preparing for quite some time. Now, Major Armistead wanted an emblem that could be seen for miles. His idea? A flag! How ironic, huh? He commissioned a widow by the name of Mary Pickersgill to create two flags for the fort. The first one was to be called the Great Garrison Flag. 30 by 42 feet. That is a huge flag. This flag was to be used for special occasions. The second one was a smaller storm flag that could be flown throughout any kind of weather and through the heat of battle. Its dimensions were 17 by 25 feet. These flags were both completed over a year before the British tried to ransack Baltimore. I told you they were prepared. When the British did arrive, they bombarded the fort for over 25 hours with cannonballs, rockets, and mortar shells. 
Yet all throughout it, the storm flag waved on. Early the next morning, the cannonade had ended. The storm flag was lowered. Everyone on board the British ships waited in anticipation of the white flag being raised. It was just the breaking of dawn, and through the dim light, they saw the flag being raised. But it wasn't the white flag. It was the great garrison flag, and it showed the British that the fort had not fallen and that they had failed. The British fleet sailed away, all save one small vessel. On board this vessel was an American lawyer who had been with the British to work out a prisoner exchange. He waited all through the night to see the results of the battle. As he waited, he began to write a poem entitled The Defense of Fort McHenry. The lawyer's name was Francis Scott Key, and the poem would be renamed The Star-Spangled Banner. In 1931, it was adopted as our country's national anthem. At every single sporting event in America and every patriotic event, the national anthem is played, and everyone is asked to stand up and place their hand over their heart and sing the national anthem. The camera will usually cut to the flag flying in the breeze, hopefully depending on the weather. And as the crescendo happens, the designated singer will add a little flair to their rendition, and sometimes a military flyover will occur. It brings people together from all walks of life, to let them know they have a place under that flag, guaranteed by the Constitution and the sacrifice of over one million soldiers. Well, it used to be anyways. Still should be, in my opinion. But now a lot of people are confused, and some have started protesting the flag. This has been the case close to 50 years now. Dating back to the mid-1970s, protesters who were too ignorant to learn our country's history began burning the American flag. Back then, most everyday Americans chalked them up to being idiots and buffoons and didn't give them a second thought. But it unfortunately began to grow in popularity, mainly due to the U.S.'s involvement in the Vietnam War. During our bicentennial year, one instance of an attempted flag burning became infamous for all the right reasons. On April 25th, the Chicago Cubs were facing the L.A. Dodgers in Dodger Stadium. During the fourth inning, two protesters ran out onto the field and tried to set fire to an American flag. Before they were successful in doing so, Cubs center fielder Rick Monday ran over and snatched the flag away from those two lunatics. The crowd went wild. Take a listen to this clip. Two of them. All right. I'm not sure what he's doing out there. It looks like he's going to burn a flag, and Rick Monday runs and takes it away from him. And so Monday, I think a guy was going to set fire to the American flag. Can you imagine that? Well, they better lose him in a hurry. Monday, when he realized what he was going to do, raced over and took the flag away from him. I understand that the audio is not the greatest, but it is close to 50 years old now. Did you hear the booing going on at first? The crowd didn't want to deal with protesters at the game. 
they wanted to forget their troubles and have fun. So when Rick Monday did what he did, the crowd went wild. You can hear the relief in Vince Scully's voice when he was successful at the rescue. The billboard sign maker quickly made an adaption stating, Rick Monday, you made a great play. Monday would later state about why he acted in that way. He said, and I quote, If you're going to burn the flag, don't do it around me. I've been to too many veterans' hospitals and seen too many broken bodies of guys who tried to protect it. End quote. Every time I watch that clip, a chill goes down my spine. You can watch it on YouTube as well as a few other videos discussing the background of the story. Fast forwarding to 2017 to the preseason of the NFL is where we go next. Now, this one is still fresh in a lot of people's minds and it caused great debate for years following it. During the preseason, former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick who had been reduced to second string, incited the whole shebang. When the national anthem began to play, every single person stood to their feet in honor of it. All except him. Like a spoiled little kid who had yet to learn his lesson, he sat on his butt and moped through the entire song. This sparked national outrage, and the team made him get off the bench the next week. He did so but he changed his tune. This time, he took a knee during the anthem, stating he was protesting police brutality against black Americans. This again outraged a majority of Americans, and even caught the eye of President Trump, who said at one of the very popular rallies this. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a off the field right now out he's fired he's fired boy howdy did that set off the fireworks nfl players everywhere began kneeling during the national anthem and the fans were not too happy they protested the protesters by not watching the games American fans still love their country more than watching the NFL. And the NFL heard badly the entire 2017-18 season. So for the 18-19 season, they passed a new rule, where if a player was out on the field, they had to remain standing during the anthem. If they did not wish to participate, they could stay in the tunnel till it was complete. Unfortunately, many players did this. Very few have had the balls to stand up and say they're proud of their country. But those that did, their jersey sales skyrocketed. While those who were ignorant saw theirs plummet. Only one Pittsburgh Steelers player came out during the anthem. Alejandro Villanueva, a former Army Ranger who understood the importance of honoring the flag. I hope that he can help other players across the league understand that as well. Well, old Kaepernick wasn't quite done with being the ungrateful punk that he is. In 2019, Nike, who he is a spokesperson for, decided to come out with a shoe honoring America for July 4th. They called it the Betsy Ross shoe, which had on the back of it the Betsy Ross flag. But he didn't like that and said as such. So Nike, being the gutless cowards that they are, cut the shoe from being sold. 
this was very disappointing and ticked off a lot more people. It also proved that when Kaepernick was first protesting, he wasn't doing it about police brutality. He was doing it because he hates America. The country where he still resides is the only place where he is allowed to publicly say what he wants without being worried about consequences. This is guaranteed by the First Amendment. But anyway, Rush Limbaugh became aware of this and heard how Nike had acted so cowardly. So he went to his wife and asked, We need a Betsy Ross shirt. How quick can we get a turnaround? He asked this on July 4th, and by July 8th, she had the shirt all ready. The design of the shirt is the Betsy Ross flag, and underneath it, it says, I stand up for Betsy Ross. That's it. The shirts were an instant success, and Rush did not make a dime from the sales. Every penny earned went straight into the Tunnels to Towers Foundation. This foundation helps families of combat veterans who made the ultimate sacrifice by paying off their mortgages. They do this also for families of first responders who were killed in the line of duty. The foundation also helps build smart homes for those who are so badly wounded that they need a new house to live in that will be more accommodating to their needs. In less than five months, they had raised over $5 million dollars for Tunnels to Towers. This shows what the flag represents to so many people. They believe in their country and helping others. So many out there are spreading lies that America no longer represents that or has ever represented that. These people still live in America though, hating on her values, living beneath the flag, waving high overhead proving that they are ungrateful to the men and women who are buried beneath that flag. If they hate America so much, then they should leave. Period. I have said this for years. If you hate America, leave. Get out. Go live in a country that is run by communism or socialism. I'll bet you that within one month, you'll be coming back with a different mindset. When you see that flag flapping in the breeze, you'll understand why so many have died to defend it from the flags like the hammer and sickle of the former Soviet Union and the crooked cross of the fascist Nazis. The stars and stripes will take on a new meaning for you, and you'll love what she stands for. Freedom. You'll understand why when American tanks and jeeps rolled through occupied Europe as they defeated the Nazis, the people being liberated waved American flags along with their own. Why survivors of the death camps embraced American GIs weeping tears of joy. They knew that America meant hope. They knew that America meant relief. They knew that America meant freedom. If this is flag waving, flag waving, do you know a better flag to
American actor and patriot John Wayne said this. Sure, I wave the American flag. Do you know a better flag to wave? Sure, I love my country with all her faults. I'm not ashamed of that. Never have been, never will be. In closing, I'd like to recite to you American comedian Red Skelton's story about why honoring the flag and reciting the Pledge of Allegiance was so important to him. We had just finished reciting the Pledge of Allegiance, and he, Mr. Laswell, the principal of Vincennes Indiana High School, called us all together, and he says, uh, Boys and girls, I've been listening to you recite the Pledge of Allegiance all semester, and it seems that it has become monotonous to you. Or could it be you do not understand the meaning of each word? If I may, I would like to recite the pledge and give you a definition for each word. I, me, an individual, a committee of one, pledge, dedicate all of my worldly good to give without self-pity, allegiance, my love and my devotion, to the flag our standard, old glory, a symbol of courage, and wherever she waves there is respect, because your loyalty has given her a dignity that shouts freedom is everybody's job. Of the united, that means we have all come together. States, individual communities that have united into 48 great states, Forty-eight individual communities with pride and dignity and purpose, all divided by imaginary boundaries, yet united to a common cause, and that's love of country, of America. And to the republic, a republic, a sovereign state in which power is invested into the representatives chosen by the people to govern, and the government is the people and it's from the people to the leaders, not from the leaders to the people, for which it stands. One nation, meaning so blessed by God, indivisible, incapable of being divided, with liberty, which is freedom, the right of power for one to live his own life without fears, threats, or any sort of retaliation and justice, the principle and qualities of dealing fairly with others. For all, for all, that means, boys and girls, it's as much your country as it is mine. Now, let me hear you recite the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Now I want you to hear Red's own voice when he concluded this segment on his show. Listen to the emotion his voice has. Through it, you'll see how much he loved his country's flag. Your country's flag. My country's flag. Our country's flag. 
Since I was a small boy, two states have been added to our country, and two words have been added to the Pledge of Allegiance under God. Wouldn't it be a pity if someone said that is a prayer and that would be eliminated from schools too? In closing, folks, remember the flag is not just a piece of cloth. The White House and Capitol are not just blocks of stone. Our memorials are not just pieces of metal. They symbolize what America stands for, what the pledge stands for, liberty and justice for all. Next time you look at old glory, remember all the good she has produced and all the evil she has overcome both abroad and within. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave. That will do it for this episode of the Snowman Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and learned a few new things along the way. Please share with your family and friends. Give this episode a thumbs up and make sure to subscribe on either iTunes or Spotify. Just type in the Snowman Podcast. Look for an American flag with a snowman in the foreground. Till next time, this is Snowman, and I'll see you now here. Where was the American flag first raised? On the pole? I mean, that's that's a simple one to me. Right? Makes all the best logic, right? All right, I'm gone. <laughs>